0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Cale Guthrie-Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief here at Modern Retail. This week, I am super excited. We have Kevin Tulip. He's the president of Primark US. Primark for... I I feel like everyone knows what Primark is, but if you don't, it's a cult-like retailer, very big in the UK, in Europe, and they have huge ambitions to open up in the US. They have many stores already. Uh, Last I read, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, but I think your plan is by... Twenty twenty six to have sixty U.S. locations. Is that right? That is exactly correct. All right, uh, I'm excited to ask about each individual location where they are. No, um, but just I, I want to know how you're how you're approaching it. What the U.S. strategy is given the status that Primark has. Overseas, Um, I'd love to talk with a guy who's trying to replicate that one way or another over here. But how are you doing, Kevin? Thanks for joining. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm doing great. We uh, we
1: just recently opened our 20th store, so we were in uh, Albany in upstate New York, so that was number 20. Um, Seems like uh, we've been on quite a journey this year. Um, So cut the ribbon on the 20th, and actually we're heading towards number 21 now, which is going to be in Arundel Mills, so just outside of Baltimore, and that's going to be our first store in Maryland. So looking for. To that in early September.
0: Wow! Wow! Congratulations. So, how many stores have you opened so far this year?
1: Yes, we've opened seven this year so far. So, um, seven stores. Yeah, I I moved to the US about eighteen months ago, um, and we just then announced our our ambition for sixty stores by twenty twenty six. So, we've been pretty busy with the seven stores. Um, in the last 12 months there. Um, and obviously, we've still got a few more to go this calendar year. Um, and then a few leases that we've signed and, and, and recently uh, talked about publicly, including our first store in Texas, which is going to be a Macallan. Um So we're really looking forward. No date on that one yet, but we're really looking forward to, to getting down there and getting our first Texas store open.
0: Well, congratulations. Let's back up a little bit and talk just about who you are. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been at Primark for Quite a long time, or at least that's what your LinkedIn says. So 20 years,
1: it it is definitely a long time, (laughs) over two decades now. So I started, I actually started with Primark when I was 16, um, wow! So yeah, it was a it was a weekend job. I'm you know straight out of school while I was studying. I'm doing four hours on a Saturday, four hours on a Sunday, um, and I really fell in love with retail. Fell in love with the buzz of a busy store. Fell in love with you know the 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 the, the, the ability to to have a lot of colleagues talk to customers about commerciality, about product, about leadership, about development. There was just so much. Of those kind of first few months and few years that just really captured my imagination and I and really. Wanted to grow and set myself as a as a as a leader within within the store that I was in at the time, um, and then a Primark went through a, a fairly large expansion in the UK at that time. We we're still relatively small, uh, but we got we went through quite a large um, quite a large growth spurt in the UK, which allowed me to to be able to move around a lot. Um, so no, it was it was a, a a great first few years.
0: Wow! So what would you say? your trajectory of roles was. So you started off at a specific store and then you helped it expand into new territories in in different parts of the UK. And like, what what were you in charge of, essentially?
1: Yeah, so my first sort of management role was I was looking after the the ladies wear department of one of our stores in Northern England. Um, And at that point, because we had a number of stores that we were opening across the UK, there was this ability, um, you know, quite early on in, in my career to be able to move around a lot to take opportunity to, to, to go for a promotion, not in the same store, but actually, you know, move to a different city. Um, and that really interested me as well. You know, at that point, to be able to move around, to be able to experience different places and, you know, different different cultures around the UK as well um, was was really interesting. So that allowed me to be able to do it. I think, you know, and I, I talked to a lot of our, our team here today in the US about taking opportunity and, and kind of getting out of your comfort zone and looking for those promotions and opportunities outside of the building that you're in. I think there's also something healthy about experiencing, you know, new teams, different regions, different cultures, and really kind of growing your leadership um, presence, I guess, in terms of doing that as well. So it's still something that I really encourage our teams here today, but it's, it's something that I had the ability to do back then.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. So could you just give a brief, very truncated history of Primark? I feel like Many people know what it is. You know, if you're in the U.S., you've probably heard about it or maybe stopped into one one of the new ones or maybe when you went to London once you stopped in. But I feel like uh, it would be Good to just get a sense for how you, inside of it, desc- describe its difference in the in the retail ecosystem.
1: So, I, I mean, we we started in 1969 in, in Dublin with one one store on on Mary Street, and, and our original founder Arthur Ryan had the vision of creating a store where there was affordable fashion for the people of of Ireland, and that idea spread from Ireland right the way through to the UK in the in the 70s, um, with a low number of stores at the time. Then we went through some some quite significant growth um, in and around 2006 to 2008, and then by 2000, or 2012 we'd opened our first store outside of the UK and Ireland. So that was in Spain, um, and that was really our first step, sort of onto the European continent. Um, and from there, obviously, we 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 started to get new market entrances into the new European countries. Um, you know, right the way through until 2015, when we opened our first US store here in, in Boston, downtown Crossan. Um And actually, as we sit here today, the US is one of 16 countries where we currently trade. So, you know, when when I started working for, for Primark 20 years ago, it was, you know, it was a retailer on High Street in a shopping area in a number of UK cities, but certainly wasn't what it is today, which is a, a European phenomenon. It's, it's. I mean, we talk about Primania, which is this, this feeling uh, that people get, you know, when a new store opens or new product drops in store. Um, and it's really become a, a phenomenon where people are, are taking, you know, buses, coach journeys to come and visit us you know when we open new stores having having you know hundreds and thousands of people even in some of our 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 countries you know queuing up outside to be able to shop in our stores for the first time
0: i wanted to get into that primania is such a an interesting concept i've seen it on social media um would you say that is predominantly in the uk or is that throughout the europe would you say like that sort of cult-like line out the door sort of thing yeah,
1: really throughout Europe as well. I mean, it, it obviously started really in the UK as we were opening stores and as we were going into, you know, new cities that didn't have a Primark before. But even from my own experience, you know, working in, in the Netherlands, in Belgium, seeing it in Germany, you know, we had a lot of countries where that was really building. When you have a low number of stores, and of course you don't have an, an, an online store, you don't have a transactional website, you know, it built this, 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 this want of of want to be there and get in and knowing that you know some of the stock was selling out really quickly, so you built over time this 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 need and this want to be you know making the journey to go. And in some of our countries, when we first started, you know, when we had a, a low number of stores, less than ten, people were really making that journey, and we we continue to see it even today. I mean, even when we opened our store in in Buffalo, in West New York, I mean, the amount of customers that came down on opening day from Canada. You know, I was talking to people who were up at five AM to stand in stand in the line from eight AM in the morning before we opened at eleven. Um, you know, they they discovered the brand previously, whether it was on vacation in London or or, or in Madrid. So they they'd known Primark, they'd seen us online, they'd seen the social media following, but obviously didn't have a store that they were able to travel to. So that's really that Primania sort of building.
0: I I wanted to ask because in the US it's difficult. You you don't have one to one in terms of like cultural. Wants and interests, and it's hard. Like there are very specific things that a U- U.S. shopper knows about that doesn't know, that isn't the same, say, overseas. So, how are you trying to sort of build that same sort of cult status that Primania in the U.S. Like, ha- have you has it been more difficult to to get that kind of line out the door than it has been in Spain or in the Netherlands? Or what are you doing to try and build that anticipation? I guess. I think we,
1: we, we, of course, we started in 2015. So we we took a fairly slow approach to growth in those early years. So, of course, you know, from a brand awareness standpoint, although we had a, a, a small number of stores around the Northeast, I mean, there was... You know, huge parts of the US that they would never have even heard of, of, of Primark before. And as we've continued to open stores, we, we've seen that continue to build. And I think there's 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 two elements that we really see it and feel it. The first one is around social media. And, and we recently just announced our, our Arundel Mills opening date um, online. And just reading through the comments myself under the post, I mean, every other comment on that Instagram post is around when is Primark coming here? There's no Primark in my town yet. I can't get to one yet. I saw this in London. Can I get this in my store? So there's definitely on social media that presence. There's also when we when we have new product and collaborations coming in. So we we have a number of licensed partners that we work with and have worked with for a long time, trusted partnerships, whether it's with Disney, Netflix, Warner Brothers, NBA, NFL. And it's something as 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 recent as even our probably our Barbie collaboration that we did. I mean, less than a week in, in 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 most of our stores, you know, and, and completely sold out. You know, we had customers phone and stalls asking online, "Where can I still get this product?" In um, so we really see that continuing to build both in new store locations, the want of a new location, as well as some of our product drops that we've got coming in as well.
0: Can you talk a little about how? Well, let's start with the 2015. What was the concept of that first store? Because I th- know that you've over the years shrunk your, your the size of generally your U.S. stores. Is that correct? So, what did the first one look like, and what does it look like now? So
1: the the, the strategy was always about you know opening a handful of stores and really testing and, and learning. Um, and I think look that 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 that's been the approach from the very beginning, and it still is the approach today. By the way, so you know downtown Crossing in Boston, we opened. Fantastic opening, but we had, of course, taken a, a similar store size to what we had in Europe at that at that time. Um, you know, a, a, again, a very European centralized strategy. Um, we had a lot to learn coming into the US, and of course, we did a lot of homework before we landed in. But yeah, once you open your doors, is when you really start to learn some of those lessons. And I'm and I'm sure for the team on the ground, there were some 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 hard lessons to learn. Um, but in reality, what we realised was that you know that 35,000 square foot of retail selling space is is the sweet spot. That's what we're looking for in terms of having the right product range from our global range available in the US. From having the the right space that, of course, is is then profitable for us, um, and and that's where we then over time we started to to think about our real estate strategy around that thirty five thousand square foot. On top of everything else that we already knew, as well as what we continued to learn um, as we opened in new locations. I mean, when we opened outside of the Northeast in. Sawgrass Mills in 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 Florida, um, and then when we opened State Street in in downtown Chicago, as you can imagine, there's 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 more learnings there. Once you're moving outside of the Northeast, once you're opening stores in a different state that's got a very different climate, so you've got that one global range, but then you've got a very different climate, um, you know, and obviously you've got a lot. Sawgrass Mills has a lot of tourists shopping with us as well from Central and South America, so you've got that as well to get in and and, and figure out and learn, and I think. The power of Primark is really around the trust and, I guess, empowerment on the local leadership teams to spend the time learning about their customer to to really... Looking at the you know the commercial elements of their store to looking at what products working for them, and to really help tailor the range for their store based on their customer profile and that's really the, the the fun and the commercial the commerciality of Primark is really that 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 continuing to learn once we've cut the ribbon once we've opened the stores for for years after
0: got it can you you go a little bit more into that because I find that fascinating because I would think for a store like Primark and this is based well now it's completely changed because I'm talking with you, but I imagine that the 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 Assortment that I would see in one store in Dublin would be similar to the the assortment that I would see in the Queens, New York one. But it sounds like you're saying that, you know, there's a a very big Central South American population in the Florida area. And so you have a different assortment there and the store associates are empowered to change it up and make it so that's more tailored to that, that demographic.
1: So it's one global range. So you would you would see the same products, right? So you would see the same products. But what what we allow our teams to do is you know we might have I don't know store where leisure wear is just by far and away a bigger mix. Than what we would see in in another store or another area, and rather than completely restricting them from using any autonomy and and, and not being able to kind of bring in an entre- entrepreneurial nature to it, we allow the store teams to really lean into certain product types to dial up to you know certain space on certain sections. And that way, then, they can really make sure that the store feels like a very consistent Primox store, whether it's from a brand perspective, whether it's from a, you know, product and collaboration standpoint. But over time, that store will will continue to learn and will continue to be shaped by the customers that are selling. And I'll give you a perfect example is, you know, we opened in in Queens on Jamaica Avenue, which is really, you know, our first neighborhood store in, in, in in the U.S. Very different from a downtown location, very different from a mall location. So... The leadership team in that store have really got to know the community that's shopping there. And it's a different frequency. Um, you know, the customer in there is, is is you know, traveling through. There's a lot of commuters. And we can see that the type of product that they're buying is slightly different from what we would see in other stores, even in New York. The team there have got the ability to then make sure the merchandising plays into that, that they're ordering more volume of certain lines that they know they're going to sell. So the look and feel will be consistent but hopefully, over time, the, the 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 customer in that store or that area start to see more of the product that they're loving and they're buying in bigger volumes than they would see maybe in a different store.
0: So you you, you mentioned you have the the Jamaica Queens one, which is more of a neighborhood spot. You have downtown Chicago. You have downtown Crossing in Boston. You have mall locations like with these new locations. Do you have a sweet spot for the type of area, whether it be urban, suburban, et cetera, for where you want to go, or how how do you choose which area is best for you to open?
1: Yeah, you know, we we obviously have a, a real estate strategy with you know where where we would want to be, uh, but a lot of that then is really based on around you know the. The location, the criteria, of course, already having, you know, good foot traffic in there. We're looking for, you know, certain things around, you know, the the competitor set that's around us. And then, of course, it's really down to the right space and the right part of the mall, the right building if it's in a downtown location. And that's where for us, you know, the, the growth has been you know slow to a certain degree, but we've taken our time and understood the locations we're going into. This isn't about just opening as many stores as we can. I mean even our 60 store um, you know roadmap that we've talked about having 60 stores by 2026 is still dependent on those right locations coming up on the right space in the right part of the mall. And if that isn't right for us then we 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 won't take the risk in that. I think what we've continued to learn is you know, lessons whether it be downtown, whether it be a mall store, uh, that's helped us continue to shape it, and and even properties that we would be looking at in the future. You know, continuing to to just make small tweaks about the space. The density the the floor the location within the mall that we would want to be uh, that we would want to be going into
0: Got it can you talk a little bit about the mall just maybe zoomed out cuz I feel like that's a hot topic for years it was said the mall was going to die and then it didn't and then it changed because of covid so what what do you how has the mall as a centralized shopping area and it sounds like you're focusing on them more specifically, I'm guessing in in like downtown areas, you're looking at malls, or are you also looking at them in suburban areas? No,
1: nope, suburban areas as well. I think look, it, it's yeah. very dependent on the mall. I think look, we we all know there is obviously a lot of retail selling space in the U.S. generally, but there are some malls, and there are a lot of malls which are incredibly busy. I mean, we we just opened in in Jersey Gardens, in uh, in New Jersey recently, and I mean, you know, the first time that I stepped foot in that mall, was a Thursday afternoon at four p.m. I mean, absolutely. Packed, unbelievable—the foot traffic that's going through there. And if you stand there on a Saturday or a Sunday, it's 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 even busier. So we we knew that you know there are locations like that, you know whether it be a, a Jersey Gardens, a Sawgrass Mills, whether it be you know some of the some of the stores we've opened recently, where you know that there are certain elements of the criteria that are definitely going to be fulfilled. There are some malls where we go back and we visit a lot, and and you know this isn't about just taking data or a third party giving us a list. This is about us really going in and standing there and spending time, you know, morning, afternoon, evening, weekday, weekend, multiple visits, really going back and understanding is this a place that we know we can be successful and we can have a really sustainable future. So, as we get to properties that come up and as we spend the time and we really validate that for ourselves, that's the moment where we would then go forward with that. But there's a lot of work goes in, years of work that goes in, in terms of choosing these, these locations. And, you know, where we've continued to open, we've opened in malls where there is already good foot traffic. And I, I, I'm sure that's not the case for every mall in the US. But it's about being selective and about then, you know, really looking at what other facilities are available in the mall what's the competitor set in the mall um uh, you know what's the parking facilities like in that mall and really making sure that we're doing our homework on that
0: what is the ideal competitive set you would have in a mall if you like are there a few stores where you're like we are really complementary to, to each other and that would be ideal for us
1: you know we we obviously watch what other fashion retailers are doing as well and and you know there's always that that thing of you're never going to be successful by yourself um and that's something you know uh, as part of our kind of value set we've always wanted to be on a good high street in a good downtown area in a good mall that you know looks after the area we want to join that and, and be part of that as well so look we're, we're looking for a good competitor set whether it be you know good good other fashion retailers um whether it be you know uh, things like cinemas, et cetera, that are bringing in additional foot traffic on top. Um, you know, but I, I say that, I mean, we've opened in a number of mills locations recently where, you know, they don't have those elements of of cinemas, et cetera. But because it's that sort of off-price model where there is foot traffic going to that mall to shop, um, you know, that's also been pretty successful for us as well.
0: Would you say that the demographic or the type of shopper in the U.S. that you are finding come to Primark is different than what you're seeing in, you know, the U.K. and Europe stores? Or is it generally the same general demographic, I guess?
1: It, it is generally the same demographic. What I would say is that definitely the the frequency of visit is is quite different. So we would see that, you know, and this is a, you know, a really... Top level between the two, you know, in, in Europe, we'd probably have a higher frequency of visit, but probably a, a lower basket spent, whereas in the US, we'd have, you know, a, a lower frequency and a higher basket spend. But even within the US, we see that quite different. You can imagine in downtown locations, downtown Brooklyn, where we opened um, in December last year, the frequency of visit there is very high compared with, you know, a a mall store like King's Plaza. But you also see the difference there in terms of the number of items and and the general basket spend um, within the two as well.
0: What are you seeing in assortment and choice? Like whether this can be both for US or both in general, how things are going, like uh, trends change people. You mentioned athleisure. I imagine you guys are see, have seen a huge spike worldwide with athleisure, but how has your overall assortment shifted from what it has been traditionally?
1: Yeah, I think you've got to remember that around 60% of the Primark assortment, assortment is really everyday essentials. So, you know, T-shirts, denim, socks, underwear, that kind of thing. So there's obviously a trend element to it. But, you know, for the most part, it is it is everyday essentials between sort of the US and Europe. There is definitely a a bigger lean towards uh, leisure and, and sportswear that we've got here. Versus Europe. But actually, you know, there is there's a lot of similarities, to be honest with you, you know, whether you talk about something like, you know, colorways, denim, etc. There is a lot of similarities where we do see some some other differences, some interesting differences that certainly uh, uh, have been interesting for me over the last 18 months to get to learn is there's definitely a bigger lean into licenses here. Um, than what there is in Europe, so you know when we have a, a a range, whether it be like a really kind of evergreen range on on Disney with Mickey or Minnie, or whether it's really something like Barbie, we definitely see a, a higher percentage coming from 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 the US than than in Europe. Um, when we think about something like Children's wear which is a you know. A, really big part of our business you know that's been probably a a biggest growth for us in the us from when we opened in 2015 to where we are today and i think a lot of that's word of mouth obviously we we aren't spending a lot of money on on huge um you know marketing uh, and advertisement campaigns maybe like some of our competitors so there is an element of of word of mouth takes a little bit of time to spread and i think children's wear is one of those where you know people have shopped with us worn it washed it trusted it, come back and reboarded, it. And then, of course, you've got that whole thing between parents of, well, you know, where's that dress from? Primark, you to go <laughs> check them out. It was only $8. So that's continued to grow over time. And really kind of coming out of COVID, you know, there's, there's been some, some big shifts on there. Of course, we saw the big kind of leisure wear shift, a lot of people working from home. But actually, that's definitely started to, we started to see sort of more formal and soft fashions increase. Definitely as there is more people going back into the offices and of course we saw the the big resurgence of, of people going back out again. And definitely travel. Travel has been big on everyone's agenda in the last 12 months. Something like luggage for us, which, you know, not, not a huge part of our business, but the increases that we've seen between luggage and travel accessories and, you know, collections like swimwear has just been phenomenal this year. So definitely we've seen people getting back out and booking vacations and getting back uh, back on flights.
0: A lot of stuff I want to dig into, but one that that really stuck out was the, the license part. You, you say that U.S. Shoppers have a greater volume of, of people who are buying those times of li- license collaborations, which makes sense when I think about it culturally. We love our Disney tie-ins. Um, how do you go about like inking those? Are you always on the lookout for new potential license pr- partnerships? Are they usually inbound? Do you have? Are you very specific about the ones you do, or are you more open about it? Like, how are you thinking about that entire area of the business?
1: So, oh, look, obviously, as a as, as a as a function, the buying and merchandising team are based in Dublin, so you know, centralized in Dublin, um, and as part of that, obviously, we have a, a licensed team. Um, headed up by Sarah Jackson there that would be working with the licensed partners. They would be you know, creating the product, designing the product um, and that would be you know, manufactured in the same factories and countries that we're doing um, our, our other product in as well. So it is our product. It's unique to Primark. It's not something that that people can go and buy in, in other retailers as well. We have a number of licensed partners that we've worked with for a long time. So the likes of, of, of Disney um, has, has, has been with us for a long time and there's a lot of trust there. Some of the sports licenses are, are are much newer um you know we're we're really starting to see the opportunity of that and and, and being able to grow the range in that as well um looking i I think the license team are always on the lookout for for the next collaborations to work with, but you know as part of our part of our values it's about building great relationships with whoever we're working with, and that includes the license partners as well so I can imagine. For the team, it's not just about moving on to the next one. It's actually about building more and more on those trusted relationships and actually continuing to to, to look at you know, one of the ranges for the next season, etc. I mean, Lilo and Stitch is a perfect example where, you know, Lilo and Stitch is a great part of our range, despite the fact that there hasn't been a movie out for, for yeah, quite it's a while. Yeah,
0: been, been a while. <laughs> it's been a
1: while, but it's an incredibly popular license and design for us, both on ladies' wear, um, children's wear, and on on on, on nightwear as well. Um, so it's an example where really we've we've taken a design, we've continued to build on a range. Um, And we've done it on great product, great fabrication, and you can just see um, how popular it's been.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about the marketing aspects of the U.S. expansion? Because you mentioned how you're kind of intentionally spending less and focusing more on word of mouth. What are the levers that you are pulling, if any, and what are you seeing work? Have you been doing any influencer work trying to get people to talk about, you know, new locations? Like, walk me through that entire strategy. Our, our business is,
1: is built on, on on price leadership. I mean that, that 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 is our absolute strategy. So with that comes obviously cost cost leadership as well. Um and and when we think about you know marketing, we we have that lens on it as well. So of course we're we're doing local marketing around store openings. Um, you know, that's something that we've historically always done leading up to the store opening day. But we really use our our social media channels. We've got tens of millions of followers across social media. Um you know where we 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 do a lot on there, and we work with a, a lot of influencers. We really try and work with local influencers in each of the countries that we're that we're working in, as well as collaborations. You know, quite a lot of them are, are, are understandably more European centric um, at the minute, with the US still being a relatively small part of of the Primark business. Um, but we'll see that continue to grow as well. So it's never really been in our DNA to to spend you know millions of dollars on big advertisement campaigns because. Frankly, we wouldn't be able to do the product at the price that we do if we were spending that. Our business model has been to, to set ourselves up to be able to pass all of that value to the customer in that great price point um, on the product. So you know, we 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 do a lot in the local areas. We we partner with a lot of you know people in our community that we do, and, and all of that helps. Um, but a lot of it really is driven by by our social media uh, channels.
0: I know you probably get this question every time a journalist, you know, a retail journalist asks you, but I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, but I know that Primark has been testing out a few new e-commerce stuff in Europe. I think you have, uh, it might be buy online, pick up in store, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm I'm not, I'm not sure, but I know like you've never been online. You're testing it out a little bit, um, overseas. Do you have any plans for that coming into the U S or how, what are you thinking about in terms of online capabilities?
1: So the the test that we're doing is 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 really a, a UK trial, and it is very much around buy online, pick up in store. But it's still very, just to be clear, really still very focused on you know incremental to the to the in store experience. So it, 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 you know it, it isn't focused on. Creating the website to to be transactional, it is very much around you know it, it, when I say transactional in terms of home delivery it 's very much around you know the customer having an, an additional way of reserving an item but still coming into store to to pick it up. And our, our strategy will be that everything that we do will be focused on that in-store experience. So anything additional that we build in and around that will always need to be incremental to that that, that in-store sale. Uh, right now, it is a trial in the UK, and, and we'll all continue to to watch it and to see how the UK team uh, do with it. Um, but right now, we don't have any plans for, for the US. You know, our, our plan... Here right now is is based around you know our new store pipeline, but also about the the, the existing stores that we're in, and really making sure that we've got a you know a, a, a continued great setup. Um, and continue to introduce a lot of new customers um, into our existing stores, even the ones that we've been in for, for some time.
0: Got it, got it. Well, that kind of answers my next and last question, because we're just about running out of time. But if you want to add some more, you know, what are your major focuses for the next, let's say, 12 to 24 months? It sounds like new store openings and continuing to grow the existing audience. Is there anything else on the list?
1: Yeah, look, you know, obviously, we 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 also set ourselves up as, you know, as an employer of choice here in the US. So, you know, as we continue to open stores, of course, we're on board and a, a lot of new colleagues to the business as well. Um, you know, I'm always very keen to to talk to the teams about, you know, you could have the next store manager, the next area manager, the next regional manager, the next president of the US business Coming to start with you, uh, you know, for a for a part time a part time job. So really making sure that we're doing an incredible job um, for our, our new colleagues as well, as well as understand. And as I just said, you know, we 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 still have a lot of new customers who are discovering us for the first time. So you know, part of our our, our kind of values is to never fully be satisfied and continue to really you know, reflect, review, and continue to to focus on that in-store experience and better ourselves every single day. It's really even in the stores like Downtown Cross and where we've been since twenty fifteen you know, to constantly relook at that customer experience again, walk the store again, talk to customers again, and really continue to remove some of the pain points. And I think, you know, we we can constantly still find easy ways to improve the bricks and mortar experience for customers. And we still see a lot of opportunity to continue that um, in the future.
0: Got it. Well, Kevin, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: No, thank you very much, Kill. Appreciate
0: it. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week.